Good. Hello and welcome to Dateline New Haven on WNHH New Haven's home for community radio. I'm Paul Bass, inviting you to look behind the headlines on the stories that make New Haven tick. Well, you know this show ticks when this gentleman comes in the studio because he always <laughs> keeps it lively. We hear about it for weeks to come. We're going to be speaking today about some of the policing issues that are in the news with WNHH-FM's criminal justice expert, policing expert, John Vileka, former assistant police chief, uh, chief police in other places, and now professor of criminal justice at Albertus Magicundus College and the sergeant at arms, correct? Yep. Of the Connecticut State Senate. John, welcome. Good to be back. How's that going at the Senate? Like, what's that like? I what do you do up there? I haven't really been up there. Oh, I thought you were the sergeant at arms. I am, yeah, but they, you know, they'll call me up there and they haven't. They've been just doing their own thing. And... Is that because it's only when there's a full session that you're there as opposed to committees? Uh, I think they, their staff. Uh, the chief of staff up there will decide when they need the sergeant arms when they don't. So yes, usually if it's an all day long kind of thing and they or they expect crowds, something like that's important to debate. Like a big hearing, yeah. Yeah, if it's something they just go in quick for, then no, they don't usually call everybody. What in. about the end of the session when they're doing those all nighters? Yeah. and everyone, are you there then? Yeah, usually, yeah. That must be yeah. fun. Boy, that's great. <laughs> now, yeah. so when you're a cop, you'd have to watch a crowd to see who's up to what in the corners. When you're there as sergeant at arms, do you look at? who's having a conversation with another lawmaker or lobbyist in the corner to see what bill's going to make it before the midnight deadline? Oh, not so much that, but more more of, you know, the galleries and stuff like that and who who comes in and out of the chamber. And so you're really like that, focused yeah. on any threats? Focus on, right, focus on any threats to the lawmakers and anybody who, you know, the lobbyists can only come to, to a certain point and then they have to, to back off to make sure nobody's slipped in to try and get the extra work. What if they the know the sergeant at arms? No, that won't help. The sergeant arms. Help. Will, no, so be, you know, John Vilecki, you're not yeah, getting in there. The sergeant arms will be relieved very bill. quickly <laughs> to get <laughs> rid of that deposit bottle deposit law. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> Is it fun? Um, sometimes, yeah. Sometimes to hear the, you know the debates are, are pretty interesting. Yeah, sure. So how many years you done that? Uh, since 2017. So wow, seven years. Yeah. So six years. Yeah, six years. Pandemic, you had a little break, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did, is it? What have you learned doing it? I've First of all, have you ever had an incident? Have you ever had an incident where you had to deal with someone rambunctious? No, because we, if we identify something like that, we usually have the Capitol Police to take care of that. So there have been times, sure, there have been uh, people protesting about certain things. And what do you have the police do? Um, well, the police will, will usually try and you know respect their right to assemble and protest and then escort them off the building and then out of the building, rather, um, if they get you know disorderly. Uh, but usually the, the police are pretty good, and I know... I know from talking to Casanova, they basically just are a presence, you know, make sure everything is okay. You're talking and, about Luke Casanova, yeah. another former assistant police chief who's the head of who's the, the head Capitol Police. Yeah, he's a chief so you guys up there. work together again. Yeah, doing a great job. Louis is up there, changed a lot of different things, and um, people come up there and, and, you know, they enjoy their right to assemble and, and to protest. And usually you know, there's other no states instance, it's yeah. different. You know, they've had problems in other states. Michigan, right, no, like not so much here. Not so much here. I mean, they have their incidents here and there, but not, not huge. Well, John Vileka, mass shootings are always in the news. You know, yep. we get kind of a nerd to them, like Alan, Texas, where he just killed the 10 people, the white supremacist guy. Yeah. How, how do you think about it as a law enforcement person, as a criminal justice professor? What do you think when you see these in the news? Are we seeing more of them? Are we paying more attention to them? Does it say something about the state of violence in America? Well, I think um, this year we've been seeing more of them, right? And I think people are attributing that to the, you know, a few different things, the pandemic and anxiety and stress and stuff how like many, that. How many years are we going to keep blaming the pandemic for everybody going? Well, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't really Vey agree with that, to be pandemic. honest with you. I, I mean, it was a factor. 
Yeah. Right. I, I'm not sure if I would agree with that, but I, I think you're right. I think there's that, that effect where everything is now being attributed to the pandemic. Uh, I, I'm, I believe wholeheartedly um, that these, these weapons like AR-15s that can do a lot of killing very quickly are a huge problem. They're not, listen, they're not, so let's back up. We're, we're, we tend to be going down the same road as we went down with drugs. For years, we tried to prevent drugs and stop drugs that didn't work. We had to realize that this, in our country, we have to live among drugs, figure out a way to make, to live among drugs. Now we have to do the same thing with guns and gun violence because we're not eradicating guns. We're not eradicating gun violence. But how can we get that to a situation where we can at least, you know, combat it to a, to a certain degree? And, and if you were to ask me, you, lead, you give people these weapons that are so efficient at killing and so efficient at killing quickly, um, that's a recipe for disaster. I mean, can we stop them from having them? I think we should. Yeah, I absolutely believe we should. And, you know, even the Texas Legislative Committee yesterday reversed and said they want to make you be 21 before you can mow down everyone in two seconds at a mall rather than yeah. 18. Right. Yeah. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think I think there's I don't think there's we should have them to begin with. And I know that that is a hot on topic. What's the defense they get is once you start with that, you go for others, because like this isn't hunting, this isn't self-protection. This is about going and killing so many people so fast. That's you know, 15 right. people in two seconds. So, you know, these things happen. They say, you know, by the time the first shot goes off and the call the police made is between three and five minutes. Then it takes the police another two to three or four minutes to get there, right? And then within five minutes, you know, the thing is over, right? So, you know... In a few minutes, the body count with an AR-15 or something, you know, a weapon like that can be much, much higher than it would be with a handgun. Now, we're still losing people, of course. It's not an ideal situation. However, you know, we're losing four or five as compared to 25, 30. I mean, we have to look at that. At some point, we have to look at that. So and it's I, not the root of the problem, but it's one of the cases where... We have to give the police a chance to get there yeah. and at least try and stop the carnage, right? But, you know... I, I was reading the other, the other day, I think it was, um, you know, you have 400 and some out of these shootings. And that's, that was at least the, the sample they took. And, you know, more than 60%, the police had had no, you know, um, no bearing on the outcome. Most very sure. So the was, NRA says, let everyone have their AR-15s, but have trained people who aren't police to shoot them yeah, first. Yeah, I mean, that's... I, that's like the law of the that's, jungle. That, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. But listen, I'm not a... You Why know, is it ridiculous? Because by the way, if you have a gun problem, you're going to inject more guns into this situation. That doesn't make any sense to me. To me, I mean, that's my personal opinion. Um, I don't think you fix a gun problem by arming everybody. Um, you know, the old, what is that old saying? You know, the, the only thing that stops a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. Well, there's, there is a little bit of truth to that, but let's think about us as police officers. We practice and we train and we live with a gun on our hip for years, right? 20 years, I went to work with a gun on my hip the way you go to work with your briefcase, right? Notebook. Notebook, okay? Right, no briefcase. But we, <laughs> you know, putting in these tense situations, we still hit people, I think it was 7 or 8% of the time. Now you're going to put guns, very efficient killing guns, in the hands of people who are not going to train, and you're going to expect them to, to use this gun in a high-stress situation to save the day. That's not going to happen. The chances are better that they're going to, inadvertently, accidentally hit more victims. You know what I mean? Um, I don't agree with that, to be honest. So, you know, obviously, John, you and I come from the same place in this. I'm trying to play devil's advocate just right. to really address the issue. So they say, you start out by saying something I've come to realize, too, which is that we're not going to get rid of guns in a way we'd like to. Right. We're not going to 
So if it's like drugs, it's going to be everywhere. So that's why they say we should have teams who go out and do harm reduction and give people clean needles. Similarly, that is the argument for training people who aren't cops since the cops can't get there fast enough. It does feel like we're just racing to the bottom where everyone's shooting each other all the yeah, time and I, there are those, I, I don't those um, sure. unplanned <clears throat> discharges of weapons that still kill people and their right. suicide. But I do think this argument is getting at a new phase where there's a fatalism about we can't even ban AR-15s that have no purpose except to kill a lot of right. people really fast. They're not self-defense weapons. No. So yeah. how are we going to get to the point where, can we really get to the point where, like I don't know. mentioned about I, Timothy I, McVeigh, he was st- stopped after after he did his mass killing because he had a a pistol on him right. and a carry, and that he now he would be let go because the law has changed. Right. In, in right. that state, yeah. Yeah. So no, I I don't I don't know if we we ever, and I don't have the answers to get there, but I, I do know this with, with like everything else we talk about in public safety, um, we have to get to a point where we realize this is a team effort here. We can't we can't be Republicans and Democrats. It can't be black and white. It can't be men and women. It's got to be all of us together on the same page working towards a common goal. And that counts for everything across the board, whether that's gun control or drugs or police community relationships. It's everything. You know, we, we can't be splintered because when we're splintered, we're weak, and then we're never going to get anything done. All right. That's John Valica, Valeca Press preaching on Dateline New Haven <laughs> yes. at WNHHF. Exactly. Amen. Amen. <laughs> 103.5 Live Teens in New Haven and Pin.org. We're talking with the WNHH resident criminal justice expert. So we've had 11 homicides this year right. in new haven yeah. which is a high high rate you, you've yeah, been there it's average you yeah. and i it's and not impressed. average that's 33 for the year that's a 30 that's well, the you, high it'll, it'll slow down and then it'll pick up i, I project probably 2025 for this year well you yeah. and i talk about how it's a small relative number so just a few yeah. changes that you were mm-hmm. acting chief i believe when we had one of our big 30 something uh years of homicides yeah. and there was a case where it's kind of a random thing some guy was upset in a workplace in a laundry and killed three people. I mean, that wasn't right. That wasn't meaning there's more street violence. So exactly. how do we think about the numbers and what do we think about the state? Because people people are very upset about gun violence and what it means in the city. Yeah. At the same time, when there's not this panic we have at certain times when there are these beefs and we're losing a lot of people who are like 16 years old getting shot and then tit for tat. It seems to me a lot of these recent ones have been like very individualized arguments. Right. There was one in a car dealership with people who don't live in New Haven. They were arguing yeah. over the business and the money, and they pulled out a gun, and the shooter stayed on scene because he regretted it. Yeah. And there was another one like that where the guy stayed on scene because we, when there was an argument about a girlfriend and the baby daddy and mm-hmm. in Fairhaven, he stayed on scene. He called 911. I know that's not all of them, right. but you know, it kind of goes back to our first point, John. Have we reached a new level where people are going to die more than they did everywhere in America? New Haven, no different. Because guns have gotten even more plentiful, more efficient, and they're being used more to settle arguments. Is that true, or is that just an impression? No, I agree. I agree. I I think think what we're seeing now is much more dangerous than what we saw years ago. Um, Years ago, there was gun violence as the result of gang culture, right? Now there seems to just be gun culture. You know, when, when guns are being used to settle um, disputes that were otherwise arguments, or maybe even fistfights, but, you know, a lot of times guns are being used to settle these things, and it's it's almost, we, we've been desensitized to, to the use of a firearm, because, um, and I think the media plays into that, you know, we it, a lot of this is driven, listen, we talk about trauma, right, but you don't have to be shot or see somebody get shot to do a trauma, to be dealing with trauma from gun violence, rather. You could 
see it on Facebook or on Instagram or on CNN or on, you know, even if you have nothing to do with it firsthand, secondarily, you're still experiencing this trauma. And the more you get beat down with that, the more it becomes part of our culture, right? And now we've gotten to a point where guns are part of our culture and the use of guns has almost been normalized, unfortunately. And, and I think that it's more dangerous what we're seeing now than what we now, saw we in the Now, we haven't seen that many mass shootings. It, it, the definition of mass shooting varies a number of victims. I think they right. consider the uh, strip club shooting I had, I think, around, was it 2016, 2015 in New Haven on, yeah. on Hamilton yeah. Street. I think several people died and the whole room was shot up. We don't have too many yeah. of those. Right, right. We had, well, Gun Violence Archive says it's uh, four or more excluding the shooter. So you're, you're figuring... Four Dead? people, four four fatalities, so excluding the shooter. Um, no, we've had three. Um, have we ever had four? I can't remember any four. Maybe. I don't remember it offhand, though, to be honest with you. What does that tell us about what's happening here for some places? Is some of this copycat? Is some of this social mm. media? Is some of the right-wing Well, they says at least 60% of this are right-wing extremists. What, including the one in, it looks like in Allen, Texas. Yeah, what I, role is that playing? What does that mean for us in New Haven? Well, you know, I, I think our whole country is there's such a, there's this ridiculous divide, right? And people are very upset and aggravated and frustrated, and people take it out by using guns. Was it mean for us in New Haven? I'm not sure to be honest with you. We're not real divided here in New Haven. We seem to be all, uh, you know, we're pretty much all Democrats, right? You know. And the ADL so claims that even though a Bernie Sanders supporter st shot Steve Scalise, the congressman, years yeah, back in yeah. softball game, they say every politically motivated mass shooting has been a right wing racist extremist, white supremacist, everyone. Right. Call it. Yeah, well, that, well, the it, right. that's the that's the you know that's where guns are the most prevalent. You know what I mean? I would say, you know, we don't see a lot of people like ourselves. Who, who you know are big on guns, but on the other side of it, you know, guns is a staple in that in, in the conservative aspect. You know, so now there have been nine arrests so far this year yeah, for homicides. Yeah. They're solving a lot of cases, and yeah. I always try to be wary what how I report that because one year when we were solving pretty much none of them when mm. we had Chief Dominguez in charge, part of it seemed like well, Waterbury was solving all of them. One of our readers said, "Well, they're really solving them." I'm kind of nervous, and I think the reader was completely right, right. because sometimes. If it's not a strong case, you remember this from mm -hmm. your run-ins with state yeah, attorney that yeah. that you really have to have the goods. Yeah. So I'm trying to look at these nine. I've read the the arrest warrants, and I don't have your expertise because you've mm -hmm. written these warrant affidavits. Yeah. You've investigated and yeah. solved these cases. It sounds to me like they are solving the cases. When I look at the evidence, I'm not just seeing one eyewitness. In yeah. these cases, I'm seeing well, two of them. You know, the guy called. Right. But right. but in a couple of these cases, they have a combination of. Yeah, video that actually shows the incident. Yeah, or shows someone around the incident. A whole bunch of those. Yeah, and then they follow up with people who they have an eyewitness or two, but that's a little tricky. Yeah, and then they do have physical evidence that they get as a result of that. In one case, they found through the video somebody who then led them to someone who got the clothing. They had a search warrant right. to get clothing out of yeah. the apartment, which was the same clothing that was worn on the on the camera. So these seem like pretty solid. Yeah. And, yeah. It, and I also have the impression the state's attorney does demand they're not just going to sign everything that's brought they want to be convinced there's a strong enough case am well, i right yeah well in this day and age and especially what you know the history of eyewitness identifications because uh when i was a detective certainly back in you know in the early 2000s and when i was a, a detective supervisor most of the cases were made on eyewitness identifications now you can't really make a case on that anymore because they've been proven to be faulty so you Remember have a numero dose Numero dos, right? There's when been you had, there was a detective who would like he's Spanish that would tell people which one to point at, right? Well, at a yeah. photo array, 
Well, that's a whole other topic. We can get, get into that. But yes, and um, they could be the identification process could certainly be faulty. Um, the identification, the picture, you know, everything. Um, but so you can't do that anymore. You can't make those cases solely on a witness identification. So you need additional supporting evidence. And I think the guys now are doing, uh, guys and girls are doing a great job putting that stuff all together. Now, granted, they have more tools than we had, right? And that that'll segue into our next conversation, but. I do think they're putting together strong cases, and I do think they're working hard. And i got to be honest with you, um, I'm a little bit surprised because they are so understaffed, and I will tell you, no matter what you have at your, at your disposal, there's nothing more than manpower. You know, you need detectives to work the case and no matter need what. The, you need them also to be led well or not? Because I have a suspicion that Chief Etienne is doing a pretty good job I there. think Bertram is doing a good job, and I think Bertram, um, in, in, I was just thinking about this the other day, there's a lot of things that he's doing better at his age and his tenure that I wish I did when I was... Give me an it. example. Uh, I think he's savvy, right? I think he knows when to step back instead of being like myself, kind of like a bull in the china shop at all times. Meaning right? when you're questioning people or giving meaning, them a chance to meaning talk? Meaning when, hypothetically, let's say you don't, you don't get your way with the state's attorney's office or you can't um, get all the resources you need. Instead of you know marching down to the chief where I would say, I need this, that, this, that, Bert learned... He, he's doing without and then he'll get that stuff it seems like he'll get that stuff later i think that he's um i like the fact that you don't see him much right and that's that's kind of the way i was brought up you don't see the head of the detective division very much right i think he's got it he, he i think he's um wise beyond his year so to speak you know what i mean i think he's got that job down pat i think he's doing a good job yeah and i, I mean detectives like it's hard for me to judge from the outside but i've been yeah. impressed and i and then and I'm glad. Yeah, he's a smart guy. And he's of course, the other guy. danger talking about celebrating um, the arrests is, of course, you don't want him to happen in the first place. Right. But right. people do want justice. So there's this whole ritual now, John, and yeah. you're familiar with it, but it's become for every case now. When they make a homicide arrest, yep. they bring in the family mm -hmm. who thanks the police. Their grief is on display. I like it, but I'm not sure what to make of it. I'm not a fan of that. I, I'm not going to lie to me about that. I don't think that that should be used as a political photo op, and and that's all I see those as, right? Um, but they would say that we're humanizing the, no, that's a bunch of shit. the family listen, and showing that we care about them too, and they get no, justice. Listen, you care about you know you know what I was always taught to do, and what I always did, bring the family into your office, speak with them, sit down with them, let them stay as long as you want to stay, ask them what they need, if they need something, provide it for them, whatever resources they need to get themselves back on track. Um, hook them up with the victim's advocate, the state victim's advocate. But this is a family that's been through so much trauma. There's no need to parade them in front of the camera, too. Um, that's my personal opinion. Can't they, don't they ask them? Because some don't come. What if they agree? Well, if they agree, well, okay, so you have the detective division who just worked very hard on your, your loved one's case, and, they, and they've been successful. How many people are going to tell those people, no, I'm not going to come down? They're going to come down, even though they don't want to come down, or they may not want to come down, I should say. Um, what I often see is a lot of people don't want to talk, but there's usually someone, sometimes an immediate family member, sometimes an uncle or an aunt or a friend, right, because who does want to go and make a statement about who the victim was and, and thank the police. And it usually gets, you know, I don't know how effective it's going to be, I hope it is, but the same line. You can almost write the same line right. every time about we got to stop the shooting, when's it going to stop, I've been to too yeah, many I, of you these. Know, I, I don't see it. I, don't, I think that that is... I just don't like it. Put it that put it that way. I just don't think that this the family that's gone through what they've gone and any of these families have lost a loved one, they don't need to be put out there on the front page of the paper and have the world know their business. They On just TV, they simply really. don't. Yeah. 
I so, just don't know. I mean, I like it as a reporter because I like to see who the humans are and I like to ask them about the person so we can make the victim a little more human. Right. I feel like that serves that purpose. But I always wonder, so whose political purpose does it serve? Well, it serves the mayor. He gets to get out in front. I mean, when was the last time you didn't see him? He wasn't there. He's there all the time. And he serves him. He gets out in front of him. He talks about what the, what the police department is doing. It's a way for him to put a band-aid on him decimating the police department. They're like, look, okay, the cuts I made are not really hammering the police department, which they are, because um, we're still solving cases. That, and that's the way I see it. I'm not happy with what he did with the, with the police department. I'm certainly not happy that the detective division only has 50 people or so in it. I mean, I think that that's, that's a crime itself. I mean, you, you should be going up in detectives, not down in detectives. How many they used to have? When I was the, in the Bureau, we had 63 gold badge detectives, but I had 120 people in general working in investigations. Between wiretap investigations and homicide investigations and intelligence investigations. Listen, you can't cry or complain about the, the level of violence in the town if you're not giving the cops the resources to combat this. Now, I know that there's an initiative coming up where they're going to be going door to door. With, they've identified people who have a propensity to commit violent crime with guns. And they're simply going to go door to door and say, listen, we know who you are. We're asking you. We've done this a lot. Right. And it's going to come up again. But you need manpower, Paul, to do that. You can't do that with, with 50 people. Okay, let me play devil's advocate because I'm not necessarily disagreeing with you, John. Yeah, go ahead. So, one, um, you have said before that it's not about having more cops. It's how you use them. Right. And I'll explain that. Exactly. You're exactly right. I always said, and I will always contend, and I'll still contend, if we change what we expect from the service that we get from the New Haven Police Department, we could do this job efficiently with less police officers. That's an absolute. I still stand by that. I still agree with that. However, this community, our city, has not changed its expectations that it wants, what it wants from its police department. So, if you want that, it's going to be labor-intensive. That's what, exactly what I've been saying to you. You're talking about walking beats. I'm talking about walking beats. I'm talking about door-to-door initiatives. I'm talking about all the things that we like here in New Haven that our well, cops do. You do want the door-to-door initiatives, right? I do want the door-to-door initiatives, but right when you flood with with every other kind of you know initiative, you can't have all the initiatives. Is what I'm getting at, right? If so what you, would you cut? I, I certainly would, would. Well, I would put more detectives in the bureau, right? Um, as a, a, a I, it's hard for me to say what I would cut because I don't have it right in front of me exactly walk, what walk is going beats, on there. Right? I wouldn't cut. I would cut all out 100% walking beats. Absolutely, there should be a motorized beat who is detailed to walk in the area. And what about the argument that the mayor hears so much from the public? What are you doing about gun violence? So he wants to be there at a press conference to say, well, "Here's what, what we're doing about gun violence." He should say, "Look, how about let's organize a meeting and I'll let you talk to my chief of police because." Nobody knows better what the police department is doing about gun violence than the chief of police. The mayor doesn't know any better about what the police department is doing about gun violence. And the thing is, okay, he's going to talk about gun violence. Now when, what happens when he starts to get questions about exactly what's going on? He doesn't have the frame of reference to speak about But he's policing. there with the chief. The chief can answer, too. Why, is he, why does he have to be there? That's, that's my point. When you were there, thing. did you have the mayor at most of your press conferences? I, when I was there, I didn't have the mayor at most of my press conferences. Just and there if, was a huge crime, like I remember the, the right. And then even the then, shot in Fairhaven. You know. Even then, and I'm a nobody. And this guy, Stefano, has been there 20 years. He would even say, "What am I saying here? What's going on? What do you want me to do?" And then I could tell you directly more than once. He said, "You know what? I'm going to say this, and then I'm going to turn it over to you." Elliker does that, right? So, but he's there more, like. 
I like to see. I like to see. I like to hear from Carl, to be honest with you, because I think Carl makes sense when he talks. The cheap, well, he's the, he speaks at those. They both speak together. The question is, De Stefano wasn't usually at the press conferences. He was at the biggest ones, like right. Annie Lay or Billy White getting arrested or the the mass shooting in well, Fairhaven. He no, wasn't he was, there. He was for at the, the you know the arson, the 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 triple the That's triple, what I was arson, triple arson, but he wasn't like, like that. Homicide right. arrest made. That he, wasn't. Okay, guess here's what I'm what I'm trying to say. He certainly would never take a question on police initiatives of what we're doing mm-hmm. at the grassroots level. Put it that way, right? He wouldn't comment about stuff like that. We're talking to John Valeca, who you could tell why is our criminal justice expert, resident at WNHH FM on Dateline New Haven. So, John, when I was reading through these warrants, I noticed that they challenge a view you and I have had. You had mm-hmm. it more extreme than I did. But we were both very skeptical of this widespread use of video surveillance in the city. And sometimes everybody just has their own cameras. The police aren't even putting them up. So a right. lot of that is used in cases. And then we have body camera footage. And then we also now have police cameras, um, video cameras placed throughout the city at hotspots. And they are being used as not the, the main evidence, but like everything from that Sherman and Whaley one in the morning, Michael Witt shooting, to some of the more recent cases, including Fairhaven, they show, and then Dwight yeah. Chapel, they're showing, I mean, excuse me, a Day Street Chapel, they're showing the actual act. Right. And yep. they're, or they're showing the person fleeing the scene if they don't get the actual act. And that has been useful. They, um, because you were saying you don't think that ever helps right. solve the crime or that we're giving up too much in, in response. And what the mayor was said, privacy's over. Everyone's got these ring cameras anyway. Mm-hmm. But, you know, some people feel like we're becoming a society where everything's on camera and that becomes a shortcut from doing investigative work. They are talking to people. Right. They are getting physical evidence. They are doing DNA. and they're getting quick. That's another tool you didn't have. They're getting, right, getting right. quicker results from fingerprints and DNA. But yeah. Should we re-examine surveillance video seems to be helping these cases? No, I mean, I will stand corrected completely, 100%. Really? You, are, are, Absolutely. Wait a second, are we have a come-to-Jesus yeah. moment here? <laughs> yeah. John Vileka, come-to-Jesus moment on Dateline New Haven? Yeah, listen, our, our oh, goal... Preach, man, let me know. <laughs> Tell me what happened. Our, our goal is to, you know, put away, take out of the communities people who are, who are committing bad acts, killing people, hurting people. And, um, if, and like I said before, these warrants need supportive evidence because we can't just do it, you know... Uh, on eyewitness identification. So if th- these cameras look as if um, they're cooperating a lot of events, they're lending supporting evidence, they're and they're leads. assisting. And also the license plate reader's been big. They yeah, license plate reader's been big. Yeah. So listen, I'll be the first one. If that's what we're getting out of these things, I will stand corrected for sure. So what about your concerns? Are those coming true? I think, like I've always kind of said, if the, if the trade-off is worth it, then the invasion is worth it, right? And that's, I think that's where you have to weigh everything when it comes to civil liberties. Uh-huh. And I think that the trade-off is, is, looks to be worth it at this point. So point. your biggest concern was that it would be a shortcut for cops not doing their jobs right, correct? Um, Relying on video and not... To a, to a degree, but it certainly doesn't look like that. It looks right. like the cops are still saying. doing a pretty good job. But yeah. yes, that was one of the things I was worried about. And, and two was, I didn't think for the level of invasion it was going to yield the level of value. You follow? And it looks like it has done that, too. So, well, I'm the mark it. of an intelligent person <laughs> is willing to change their mind based yeah, on right, evidence. Right. Well, that's, yeah. Okay, so you're officially today an intelligent person on Dateline New Haven. Yeah, yeah, John exactly. Malika. Thank you. When right. I leave, I won't be so much anymore. <laughs> Me either. But I never, <laughs> I don't know. I just well, I'm here right here. Body cam. So, body cameras at cops. At first, one of the critiques 
for people on my side of things was that's going to show you what the cop sees, but it doesn't show you the cop unless it's somebody else's body cam. Right. We've actually gotten some pretty damning cases of police misconduct from yeah, body cams. Sure. I'm clearing cops who actually did fine because of body cams. We still have citizen video, and thanks to continual vigilance by New Haven, for the most part, New Haven police are no longer stealing our cameras and arresting <laughs> us and destroying our video if we yeah. try to take video, but yeah. you know, it still happens sometimes. How are those working out? You have concerns about body cameras? I know, I know. I, the only concern I would have about body cameras right now is is the "oops, I forgot to turn it on" kind of stuff. But outside of that, I think that the I think that that's great. I think we we've gotten to the point now where the first thing when I watch something, the first thing I see is a body cam. You know, and if there's a body cam, we get to see. I mean, the Randy Cox case really and it was also yeah. internal cameras that really helped. Right, Randy Cox, but Tyree Nichols. That's a big yeah. job. That's a big job just to hear. You know, everything, just the banter back and forth between the officers lending to their mindset was big. Not just the assault of Tyree Nichols, but what the officers were saying among each other. And, you know, um, yeah, I think they've paid dividends. I think Shafiq they're great. Abdu-Sabur says, great topic you both are discussing. Thank you, Shafiq Abdu-Sabur, a retired police officer running for mayor. So what about this concern about um, the requirement that every officer in patrol car have body cameras working when they're on yeah. the job? It's a statewide law. And there was an article that you showed me, John, thank yeah. you, that says it's not being enforced in a lot of departments that turned off. We've had some incidents in other communities that turned off. I'm not hearing about that in New Haven. Does that mean it's not existing or just we're not hearing about it? No, is I'll that a problem you, here? All right. So this is going to be an expansive topic, but we're going to back up just a little bit. Why it's not happening here in New Haven is because well, I... am asking if it's happening in New Haven. Um, I don't think it is, and I'm going to tell you why. Um, so what we, what we see, when the, when the police accountability bill came through... Um, Everybody had the flag about qualified immunity. The, the bill doesn't do anything at qualified immunity. Let's, let's get that right there. It doesn't close the reins. Does it, any, everything that existed for qualified immunity before still exists now. The reality of the situation is there is a culture within the upper echelon of policing, executive level and state's attorneys, that, that is guarded. That's guarded very closely. And it's tradition and the status quo. They don't want change. Okay? So the reality is when the bill goes through, nobody was really worried about it. You know why? because there's nobody to check the compliance of this bill. Okay, good, you want us to have body cameras? Fine. Who's gonna come in and enforce that? Nobody, nobody's gonna enforce it. You know who's gonna enforce it? Your own police department, right? So, why do we not see it in New Haven? Because we got a chief who, if you ask me, um, is, is a, new, a newer chief who doesn't guard that culture, who's okay with pointing the finger at it and saying, we need to do things better here. And that's why I think you, you see a lot of the good things coming out of New Haven PD. Other police departments, not so much. I mean, we're, we're a couple of years in now. Not everybody has body cameras. Nobody has dash cameras. You know what? Not everybody is complying with the police accountability bill. And what are you going to do about it? That's my point. Nothing. You're not going to do it. Nobody's going to do anything about it. Because it's on the individual chief to do anything about it. So the leadership sets the tone. The leadership sets the tone. And the leadership not just in our state, across the country, guards the culture of policing. The same type of policing. Listen, why do you think we policed black and brown communities the same way we policed them for 100 years? Nobody wants to change it. You're not going to tell me if you get a chief's job, you can't change it. You can change it. Believe me when I tell you, there are a lot of things that can be done where you can change the way you police certain communities, how you use certain equipment, certain initiatives out in the community, you, you can change all that. It's not being done because it's specifically not being done. John Valleca, we, we touched this earlier, but there's been an articles 
There were arguments in the press in Connecticut and nationally about the staffing shortage of cops. It's continued. It did start. I hate to blame everything. But they make it Black Lives Matter. But it yeah. started during <laughs> that. And um, New Haven's still down a lot of officers, though. We have been recruiting. Getting, you know, it classes a lot more New Haveners in them, a lot more people of color, a lot more women. Right. But we're still down a lot. You mentioned the shortage of detectives, although you're not so sure we need as big a force as people say. Right. Where does it stand now? You teach possible future cops at Albertus. Yeah. Where do we stand now in the challenge of finding enough cops and what should we do about it? And is it real? Well, yeah, it's very real. I can tell you that, you know, the first day of class when you go around the room and you ask a bunch of criminal justice majors what they want to do. And nobody says municipal police officer. That's a problem. You know, the only type of law enforcement you get are FBI uh, you get a lot of U.S. Marshals, a lot of kids now will say. But most of them will talk about going into the private sector in a, in a security fashion or a cybersecurity or something to that degree. But, you know, nobody says, I want to be a police officer. Nobody even says, I want to be a police detective. Um, and that's, that I could tell you, that's uh, here in Alberta, and that was in Springfield, Mass., when I taught in Springfield, Mass., and that's a big criminal justice school. Um, and when... when that's a problem, you know, when, when there's no, there's not a big draw into our profession anymore, which is a shame because it's a great profession. Well, how do you try to inspire the, the young people in your classes? I, t I tell them just that, just like I told you, I say, listen, I'm a, I'm a little disheartened that nobody here wants to be a municipal police officer the way I was, uh, a municipal police detective, which I thought was the best job in the world. Um, and I think you should really consider that. And why is that a great job? Because yeah, a municipal police advocate, I can see why it'd be interesting. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's an interesting job for sure. But a municipal police detective is there's nowhere to go when when you when something major happens to you and your family, right? Um, and this is not to diminish patrol officers, but patrol officer will take the, the case, write it, and then send it to the bureau. When you're a detective, that's it. You're it. You have to come up with some kind of resolution, closure for that family, some kind of justice for that family, and that's a that's a heavy burden, right? And that's a detective, not a detective manager the way I spent most of my career, but an actual detective detective, right? And there's something to be said for that. When you go home at night and you know that, listen, you can't bring a loved one back, but you did the next best thing. You, you did the next, you brought somebody to justice, you tried to give a family closure, and you've been there through them throughout the most difficult time of their, their lives. And I really don't think, I, don't, I can't see another job where you, you get that kind of satisfaction, to be my personal opinion, to where, you, where you get that. And you don't get that from the FBI. The FBI is a great, great agency, um, but they're removed, right? They're removed from the actual grassroots to the community thing, you know? This is where, you know, I still see people now, I've been retired 10 years, that I met as a detective, you know, working a case, and they're like, oh, hey, look, how you doing? How you been? This, you know, you make friends for life. And, and I think there's something to be said for that. I think it's a great job. To be honest. So one big change in terms of uh, how police do or don't respond has been Compass. That's the, they're happening all over the country where cities are setting up teams. This is one of the great outcomes of Black Lives Matter. Teams that res of social workers or psychologists who, who's, or people who have lived experience living on the street or with addiction, they respond to cases that sometimes emergencies police otherwise would where they're there to diffuse the situation, find somebody help, and not have it escalate, despite the best efforts, officer, into a more violent case or an right. arrest. How have, you been, how have you been viewing that, and how has your thinking evolved on that? Well, I, I've always saw, I've always felt that there was a place for that. You know, like I said, back when I was there, um, the, the issue light was with uh, the, the um, clinicians and injecting them into a dangerous situation, right? But I think that if, if they're proactively, they're out there and they're, they're uh, working in situations that have yet to become dangerous and trying to thwart that, 
I think that's a great initiative. I mean, how could how can anybody be against that? To be honest with you, in New York City, the team, the street team there, was working with the Michael J- young Michael Jackson impersonator who was just killed on the subway when he was having an episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the uh, former Marines stood up, put him in chokehold, and killed him. That's really raising a lot of issues in, and concerns in New York. How did you see that incident? To be honest with you, Paul, I didn't read it. I saw the headline. I didn't read the article. So this guy had been homeless, he had mental illness problems, and he, and the street team had repeatedly found him and got him into places, and he left it as substance abuse mm-hmm. problems. And he was a Michael Jackson performer on the street, and his mother had been murdered right. by her boyfriend. And then he was on the subway acting, saying, I don't care, I'm just going to die. And, but it wasn't clear, people catch your video, it wasn't mm-hmm. clear he actually attacked anybody. But he did, he had recently, though people didn't know that, and a guy who was riding, who was recently in the Marines, he gave him a chokehold, but then didn't let up on the windpipe after eight seconds, and the guy died. Okay. And they're not sure if they're going to charge him, because in New Haven, people are scared about what's happening in the subways. They in don't know what to do. with. Men, although they, they do have these street outreach teams. You have a mayor who both said, I'm going to be pro-police and quality of life, mm. but I'm also going to yeah. be upping how I help people get alternatives to incarceration or arrest right. Right. for their mental health problems, which is a big challenge in New York. And there's a big debate now in New York about whether to charge the guy who choked him mm. wasn't self-defense that's, that's, or not. That's a tough one. I don't, I don't, I'll be honest They said with there you. was I'm no honest. evidence that there was a threat to anyone's life. Yeah, so, I mean, who's saying that? Is the police saying that? If well, the police, police are saying that, then you have yet. to charge him. But peace, there's, no, there's no decision yet. It's fraud. Right. It's like the Bernie Getz. I'm going to have to look Getz? at that when we're done. It was, there's a video and there's no, there's no threat to the uh, to the. Well, the we don't know. People up. felt threatened. He didn't threaten to well, hurt them. Well, I mean, any overt threat. Right, right. He's having an episode in... Yeah, it's a little murky. It's a little yeah, murky. Yeah, I mean, give me honest with you. I mean, I think that, that's something. Well, there's something. outrage among the advocates saying now if someone's acting out and you're not feeling comfortable right, with just it, choke you can kill them. I mean, yeah. yeah. I think that's, that might be something the courts need to do. I think he needs to be charged, and maybe the courts need to sort that out, you know, through, through a verdict of innocence or guilt. Um, no, when, another thing that happened when you were um, in charge of the police department was the homeless encampments. I no, mean, we had Occupy. Occupy yeah, yeah, and we so had basically now in New Haven, like yeah. Phoenix, like Oakland, like all sorts of cities around the country. Yeah. We had a homeless camp that's not as big. How would you have dealt with that? That's it. You know, the homeless encampments are, are a little difficult because, uh, you know, and I always felt my officers did a great job going there very respectfully, um, understanding, you know, putting themselves, being empathetic. Um, but there also gets to a point where, like, maybe if you have, I don't know, 100 or so people there, there's that five group of five people who come in and use drugs and, uh, well, most people use drugs, damage and, and there are the issues about flammable well, I, tents. You, you, and you use drugs space. to the point where it's a problem, let's say, you know, right? Mm-hmm. Or, or, or just their, their behavior is problematic, and it kind of ruins it for everybody, so to speak. I hate to say it like that, but, you know, when they start, when they, they escalate their acts and it starts to be unacceptable, um, you know, that's when the whole initiative gets questioned, and that's the problem. And I, got, I think Occupy was really good till the end. Uh, or the that. middle when it started becoming a real public health hazard, right, it became, and no right. other pe- the public couldn't use that half of the green. And that was when, but what, those were all people from outside of our city too that right. came in and kind of screwed everything all up, right? Uh, but in the initial stages, right. uh, the, you know, everything was listen here. Here's what we're doing, and here's why we're doing it, and this is it. We want you to respect us, and the cops were really good about it. They were. The cops it, didn't want to be. But what happens? Like at a certain point, who owns public space? Right. That's that's, that's the point. That's the point. Yeah. I I I don't know. I I think that. When you get to the point if who owns public state and, and it's not being treated the right way and you're using drugs, you're defecating out in the open and you're ruining things and, and there's 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 a substantial, you know, health problem there you know with the with the safety hazard and the, and the flammable tent. 
you know, then we have to. We, we, we would be remiss if we didn't take action at that point. John, like, I love chatting with you on Dateline. <laughs> I've oh, learned thanks. so much, you know. So before I let you go, what advice do you have for the mayoral candidates? What should they be doing and saying about criminal justice? I think uh, I, I think Shafiq does a good job when he speaks about Shafiq criminal Abdus justice. Right. Is one of the candidates. Um, I'd be honest with you, I, I don't see a lot of the other candidates. Um, uh, Mayor Eckler, well, there's I'm one sorry. candidate says we should we, sh we should be trying not to make arrests for drugs. Yeah, that's ridiculous. So if we can, and that stuff I don't even listen to because that doesn't make any sense at all. Anyways. I think Elliker is good. He, he's, but I think the police department's carrying him. I think the police department is doing a fantastic job, and I think Elliker is benefiting from that. Was that but, his first choice for the leadership of the department? No, as we all know, it was not. Uh, but I think Shafiq has got some pretty good, innovative ideas. To my personal opinion, I think that Shafiq is, Shafiq has what we would say a vision, right? And I don't, I don't see a vision uh, for Mayor Elliker with regard to public safety. I really don't. Well, I do see a vision of John Vilecka in the studio as our resident criminal justice expert. What? A, thank you so much for making time for us, John. Oh, anytime. Love having you on. I love, love coming putting, in. Love putting it in the independent. And it, thanks to Nora Grace Flood filling in for the incomparable station manager, <laughs> Harry Droz. The irreplaceable. Irreplaceable, but Harry she's doing Droz. a good job in his stead. And um, thanks for joining us, John Vilecka. And we're going to take it out with the Afro-Semitic experience. Performing I Wish I Knew How It Would Feel to Be Free. From the group CD, A Plea for Peace. This is Paul Bass inviting you to fly free with us all day and all night long at WNHH New Haven's home for community radio.